We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Computer. This is Data. I'm an android. I'm a Rangers League basketball. I was processing all of the information. Processing. It's one of those idiots who believe in analytics. Rangers League basketball. Analytics was crap. Does not compute. Just because you got good stats doesn't mean you're a good team. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast. I am your host for the day, Tim. You know me as Cranjus Basketball on Twitter. And today I am doing a solo pod talking through the Lakers' win versus Golden State and really more reflections on the new players, the new faces brought to this team, what they have brought, how the team is using them, and what that's going to look like moving forward. We had an exciting game, fun time on playback, had a, a nice big audience there. And uh, got to watch together and see how D'Angelo Russell looked in his Lakers debut. Get a look at Malik Beasley, Jared Vanderbilt. Mobamba did not play. He was suspended for a uh, brawl um, from his prior team. So he was not able to play that game. LeBron James was also out. We saw Jared Vanderbilt play and had a turn, you know, opened a lot of eyes to what he can bring defensively as well as offensively. We did not see Devon Reed. But uh, so a couple guys that are on the roster haven't played yet, Reed and Bamba, but there were those three that that we did see play. And I want to discuss how they played. I I think more important than how a guy, you know, shot on five or six shots or something like that is how were they utilized? How were they rotating? How did they fit into the rotation itself? You know, what did the, the chemistry look like? What you know, what am I seeing now that I think could advise how I would want the team to operate moving forward? And yeah, let's let's get right into it. So the team won against Golden State in that first half. They hammered set plays. They were like over 50% set play usage, which was quite a lot. It's usually what I'm looking for 
when you're integrating new pieces and they ran over 20 different set plays this game that these guys were asked to execute, having had no practice, basically probably they were sent a PDF of a playbook and told to memorize a bunch of plays and then 20 of them they were quizzed on. They, I, I wouldn't say they, they, they didn't fail the quiz, but I wouldn't say they got an A on the quiz. The execution was a bit sloppy. I think that's to be expected and should and will improve. It was, you know, certainly encouraging to me to, to see that the team still did ask them to, you know, go out there and try to execute these things. And you could even see, even with, you know, you know C plus execution on some of these sets, how the skill sets involved are bringing something to, to the table that are different from what we're used to seeing. And so that was really encouraging to me. Uh, again, execution wasn't great. The set play efficiency wasn't great because of that, but that will certainly go up and I think will result in even more effective set plays now with this new roster than we saw with the Lakers up to this point. We also saw the Lakers post help beaters take a step back to be pretty bad really for the first time in a while. That'll improve. This is another chemistry reading situation sort of thing, especially because it's less so a called set and more, hey, if this guy helps, here's what you do. If that guy helps, here's what you do. So that'll get better. I'm having patience with that, but we saw, you know, AD, there, were, there was one play where <laughs> nobody was cutting, nobody was moving. AD was trying to go 1v1. He drove left. Someone was there to help. He turned right. Oh, a third defender was there. Um, and he ended up taking a, a mid-range jumper and I think missed. That, that was emblematic of what the Lakers post-help counter situation looked like that game. It was not good. It did not make for a great uh, AD game, but the team was able to overcome that. Dennis Schroeder had a fantastic game. The team got a good game from Rui Hachimura scoring-wise, and uh, you know a number of guys stepped up. It, it is really eye-opening watching a team that has much more balance and can be so much more multifaceted and has a much lower percentage of its minutes coming from players who are on like, minimum contracts, really. Like, this is a team full of basketball players on real contracts, and you also don't have that very negative in certain ways, uh, like max contract type guy in this in this group now as well. So I'd say it's more aesthetically pleasing to watch this group once they up the execution. I certainly think they'll be a much more effective group offensively. And then defensively, I was even more impressed. And before I even get to the players, I want to shout out the coaching staff. For much of the season, we've seen pretty vanilla stuff. We've seen, you know, they're only willing to go certain directions with coverages. And that's one part of defense. The other part of defense is, the other big part I'd say, is like, what are you doing when it comes to tactics? Like, we can be a drop coverage team, but then decide to play post-ups a certain way or decide to send different types of help against an isolation. Things like that. The topic of our most recent X's and O's session in the Discord was you know, sending help and attacking help. There's so many different ways to do it. Pre-catch, post-catch, from different directions until different points in time. And we've seen this Lakers team not really engage in as much of that with post-ups, isolations, uh, off-screen stuff. It's pretty much just been like defense and defensive scheme is how do we defend pick and rolls? And what are some general rotation principles? And it, it, we really got to see the team come up with a coherent plan against Golden State 
against the number one cutting team in the NBA from a frequency standpoint, against the number one uh, off-screen shooting team in the NBA, flare screens, pin downs, all that good stuff. This is a team that does that stuff a lot, and they do it very, very well. And the Lakers came up with a strategy. Yes, Steph was out. You know, the Lakers were missing LeBron. Like, guys would get injured. But despite that, we've seen this Golden State team, with the guys they have, be able to very well execute very well and be very effective running off of pin downs and flare screens with, with their Clay Thompson, Jordan Poole. They've, they've got guys. They still have guys. At the end of the day, the final score will be worse probably for them without Steph. But let's not, you know, act like Clay Thompson forgets how to run off a pin down screen when Steph Curry's not on the court. The Lakers implemented a strategy with top locking specific players that they cared about defending that way. Others, they, they didn't care. Um, but for Jordan Poole, Clay Thompson, they did not let them, to the best of their abilities, they did not let those shooters run off of off-ball screens to be able to catch and shoot or be able to catch, see that they're being defended by two players and then like hit a, hit a cutter on a dump off. They did not let the team hit their screeners, you know, screening for that shooter. And then, you know, we drew two and then they cut and then the original passer passes to them, even if the off-screen shooter didn't get the ball. None of that was able to work for Golden State. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So what I'm meaning to say is the bread and butter of this Golden State team was, was taken away. And the way that the Lakers did it was by top-locking those off-screen shooters, meaning they so usually you stay when you're playing defense in between your man and the basket and that will make it so you are less likely to concede a player cutting to the rim and getting a pass if they're running away from the rim you are you know behind them and it's much more likely they're able to run off of a screen towards the top of the key catch the ball and shoot or catch and drive or whatever it happens to be what the Lakers are doing with their top locking is you, instead of staying between your man and the basket, you pretty much stand between your man and half court and you get right up into him and you get, basically you're in his way if he's trying to run off of those screens from like the corner up the wing uh, or from under the rim up to the top of the key. You are in the way and that disrupts the timing and it makes it much more difficult for teams to run those guys off of those screens and be able to actually even catch the ball, let alone in a situation where they have an advantage with the player trailing them and, and unable to, to recover in time to contest a shot. So it, that is what the Lakers did by taking away. That's what the Lakers did to take away those off-screen looks. 
But then that makes the defense vulnerable. And what it makes them vulnerable to is because of that new positioning, you're no longer in between your man and the basket, making it much easier for the Warriors to cut with those players. Cut to the rim, pass, get get buckets. That's what the Warriors want to do whenever a team is top blocking. And they'll run specific set plays that clear out the paint the best they can so that those players can't top block. And it's really challenging to help from the weak side in time to, to make this work defensively. And you don't want to get a defensive three seconds. So all of that is what generally hurts defenses when they try to top block against this Warriors team. So what the Lakers did was rather than just top blocking and that's it, they top locked. And then they also were sagging off of men who were non-shooters or who they didn't worry about shooting. They were all D and F three-point shot making players. So Draymond Green, Jamichael Green, uh, Kaminga, those are the three guys I noticed specifically. The Lakers, you know, they'd stick Jared Vanderbilt or Anthony Davis on them and sag off of them real far, often when they had the ball in their hands. And when an offensive player has the ball in their hands, I, I called this out on our playback stream, you can't get called for defensive three seconds when your man has the ball. So your guy can be standing at the top of the key all day long and you can stand under the rim all day long and it's not a violation on the defense as long as that guy has the ball in his hands. And so the Lakers did this strategically and with the top locking, they were taking away the off-screen looks. With AD or Vanderbilt sagging towards the rim, they were taking away the cuts that were attempting to beat the top locking. And this resulted in the Warriors taking longer to get into their offense the quality of shots they were getting off from three were worse than normally they were able to get. We saw the like percentage of the team's three-pointers taken by the bad three-point shooters go up quite a bit. There, You have to go back. There are not too many games this season overall that you saw 10 total three-pointers or more taken by both of the Greens and Kaminga. You just don't see that. That's not what this team wants. And the Lakers made the Warriors play a brand of basketball they don't like to play. It worked really well. And they cut what is usually a solid 40 points a game or so from the Warriors in those two areas down to, I think it was like 19 points. So they basically cut the output in half and did enough that they were able to win the ball game. So that's defensively what I saw from the team that works so well against Golden State. I've posted some videos about this on Twitter right after the game that night. And on that end of the court, the new, the new acquisitions for the team, they played really well. D'Lo was chasing around screens decently. He's not very good at that, uh, but he rotated really well off ball. Vanderbilt was one of the guys that the Lakers used to sag off and defend the rim, and he did a very good job with that. There were a number of plays he took away a cut, and either they didn't get passed to or they did get passed to and were in no man's land, and he contested or blocked their shot. And Beasley, I think, did a pretty good job as well defensively. And Neither he or D'Lo were particularly good defensive players, but... I thought the two of them did a good enough job that game. And within the the defensive game plan, we saw the team really, really make this Warriors team struggle. And if you, you know, if you just look at the box score and say, oh, well, if those shots would have went in, they would have done better. Yeah, sure. But a lot of those shots were going to worse shooters. And that's what you were creating. That's the challenge you create with a defense like this. So from a defensive game planning standpoint, I loved what the coaching staff did. I think this was their best defensive game plan of the season. You have to give them credit for that. And we saw the new players step up and fill in and be part of that cohesive group. We did not see them totally confused, running around, having no idea what's going on. And I think that's a good sign. So I'm going to take a quick break. When we get back, we are going to talk individual players, talk offense, talk usage, and really dig into what these new guys bring to the table for Los Angeles. 
I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, so let's next talk about the three new players that we saw integrated into the roster and how they were utilized, offensively, defensively, whatnot. D'Lo on offense was a primary ball handler. He was often playing alongside Dennis Schroeder, but was usually the one initiating the offense. He defensively was, I think, more in a chaser role, not necessarily at the point of attack. Uh, He was, as an off-ball guard, able to use more of his rotational abilities was not particularly good defending on ball around screens on ball or off ball, but his his strength defensively is in his communication and his ability to rotate. He does a pretty good job there. Offensively, he showed his spacing value. I think that was evident. His pick and roll game was it was okay. Uh, I think figuring out the chemistry of the angles and the timing will be important. He did a pretty good job operating within sets for someone who was brand new to the offense and. I think, you know, we saw some of the value. I think we're going to see more of it over time as he really figures out, okay, here's how AD likes to get his passes on the roll. Here's what to expect with these off-ball players moving around, things like that. So a good start could have been better. Certainly could have been much worse. Good introduction to D'Lo, and he had some clutch shots, some clutch decision-making. He was able to get to the rim fairly well. He was hitting from the perimeter a bit. And I, I thought he added value. So it was good to see him back. It's really nice to see one of those, you know, baby Lakers back on the team in, in his full form. And so that was absolutely a pleasure to watch for a number of reasons. The next guy I want to talk about, Malik Beasley. He's an off-screen shooter. He is more of a movement guy, more of an off-screen shooter than Lonnie Walker, Austin Reeves, Pat Beverly, Dennis Schroeder, Russell Westbrook, any of these guys that the Lakers have been using in similar situations, Troy Brown, um, like Matt Ryan was that one guy and he didn't stick around with the team for a number of reasons, but Beasley is that kind of player. And we haven't seen the Lakers offense make the best use of this type of guy in quite a while, nor have they had this caliber of guy. Malik Beasley for a number of seasons has been used this way, and he's been pretty pretty darn good at it. Looking at, I was able to get my hand on some second spectrum data, and prior to joining the Lakers, so every game this season but that that one game, uh, he had taken more movement threes than stationary threes this season. He is a guy that's often sprinting into shots, or at the very least, you know, <laughs> jogging into shots, uh, and he's been he's been good. His effectiveness. Sprinting off of, you know, movement left to right isn't quite up there with the Buddy Heald, the Davis Bertans, the Steph Currys of, of the NBA, etc. But his usage sure has been. And he's been very effective as a relocating guy. Think, you know, off of exit screens or just like drive, kick out, sprint to the corner, take the shot. He's got a good bit of balance and he's able to navigate the floor well. And his passing plays off of that scoring gravity. And... Even though he went 0 for 6 from 3, we immediately saw the defenses need to defend him differently than we've seen them defend anyone else all year long. We were seeing shows on his off-screen looks. So 
rather than the defense just having his man trail behind him and try to recover, they had the screener's man step out and take away the immediate three. Sometimes they switched, sometimes they didn't switch. There was, there needs to be some some stuff cleaned up with Vanderbilt with rolls, but Beasley did a pretty good job operating off of those situations. The defense took away the immediate shot, and that means that there will be opportunities to hit rollers, and the team didn't do a very good job doing that. <laughs> that hasn't really been something the Lakers have needed to do this year. Uh, so now they've got one of those guys, and they got to figure this stuff out, but he's, I think, certainly equipped to do so. And we are going to see some game sometime soon where he goes sometime soon where he goes like six for eight from three or something bananas like that and wins the Lakers a game. So the usage was what I was hoping to see. Uh, his effectiveness is it should be much higher in these looks than anything else the Lakers have seen. And I'm really excited to see him running off of like a staggered screen from like Jared Vanderbilt and. I don't know, uh, Austin Reeves on the weak side, while strong side, LeBron and AD, you know, are running a ball screen or a handoff or something like that. It's, he's going to have tremendous gravity and it's going to rejuvenate the sets. The Lakers had a lot of success with earlier in the year where they were, they had decoy action that drew help defenses attention away from LeBron and AD so that their two man game was two V two instead of two V three or two V four. Over time, that has decayed a bit as defenses have realized, oh, they're never going to the staggered screen because even when they do, Lonnie Walker's not taking the shot. He's going to need to collect himself and then take the shot or take a couple dribbles in and then take a shot. And we'd rather just, it's not that he can't hit that. It's just that we would rather send the extra help on LeBron and AD and deal with the consequences. Teams are going to have to respect these off-screen shooting with, with Malik Beasley. So that will be a difference from the norm. And I'm excited to see that. Next, let's move to Jared Vanderbilt. He defensively this year has been used as more of like a, a mobile big five man. And that's not the best way to use him. There's a reason his defensive impact is way lower than it's been the prior two seasons where he was a point of attack guy and then a wing stopper. With this team, we immediately saw the team use him more as a 3-4 defensively. He's going to get plenty of helper minutes. When teams have a scoring wing, he's going to get wing stopper minutes, hopefully. And I think there should be matchups where he gets point of attack minutes defensively. Offensively, he is a roller, he is a cutter, he is a screener, he is not a particularly good spacer. We saw him, and I, I logged the plays, he occasionally was spacing. 50% of the time, he was out there standing on the wing or the corner, usually the right corner. Defenses just left him alone. And I'm not talking like, oh, they're leaving him alone, but it's really just you know normal rotation shell defense. No, they were leaving him alone. And so that is concerning. That's the downside, and that's part of why his impacts wasn't what it could have been been potentially. We, we did see some of those things that, you know, there's a reason his offensive impact isn't very high this year it, or really never has been. But then there were plays where he was effectively able to cut from the perimeter, get offensive rebounds or out of the dunker spot. He only had like one pin and flare out of eight dunker spot trips. So I think he could do that a bit more, be more impactful that way. He's It's tricky having him in the dunker spot as someone that the defense will have a big man on defensively. Because uh, you keep a rim protector next to the rim. If you have like a Russell Westbrook, uh, you know, not guarded. If in the in the games he's not guarded by a center, and you've got a point guard there in that rim protection spot, that can be an advantage for the offense. But when there's a center guarding him, it's not as advantageous. So he needs to be more active with those pin and flare screens. But as a roll man, he was pretty solid. His short roll is very good. He had that excellent bounce pass to Wendy Gabriel, cutting uh, for a nice two points. 
He had a short roll that wasn't so good. There were a number of occasions he didn't get the ball at all, but that short roll passing, it pops in the data. It's something he can do well, and I think it'll be an asset to this Lakers team moving forward. There were also times where the short roll wasn't really the move for him based on the coverage the defense was running, and he just kind of screened and turned around and didn't really present himself as a good roll option. He was out of the, the ball handler's view or just wasn't cutting to the rim or, you know, should have short rolled but long rolled or vice versa. He's got to clean that up a little bit, but he's certainly solid in those situations. He's been a very effective putback guy, very effective uh, role man, both as a passer and a scorer. His dump off game has been average, below average, uh, which is why I'm not a huge fan of him in the dunker spot as just like a, a fix of everything. But as long as he's, you know, screening, cutting, using that passing ability, setting pin and flare screens, setting staggered screens. As long as he's active, it's going to be good for the offense. His defense was great. His rotating was great. His on-ball defense was great. He was a defensive playmaker. Just fantastic. Anticipation, instincts, length, it was all over the place. And he turned defense to offense on a number of occasions and was the, the ball handler in transition on a number of occasions. But we saw the spacing limitations. We... I think there was a reason he didn't close and there might be a reason he doesn't close moving forward. And we're going to take another quick break and I will get right to that. But why I'm also hopeful that the Lakers will be able to figure that out. He will be a starting and closing lineup player potentially for this team. We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, and we are back. So Jared Vanderbilt, can he close games is going to be a – it's a question I've already seen asked. It's a question I'm asking myself. And I, I, he can. He can close games. And he's been someone that hasn't been a high-minute guy in his career. And you can – I mean, you can see why. He has limitations, but then also a lot of what he brings has to do with high energy. And can he – fly around, make every defensive rotation, stick with guys on ball and be harassing and do all these great things, running full speed all the time and double his minutes. Can he can he go from, you know, 18, 20 a game to 30 a game, 35 a game? I don't know. I, I, that's something I'm sure the Lakers will try to figure out, but his spacing is a limitation and it's a limitation more or less so based on who he's playing with. If there are three non-shooters out there, that's a problem. If he's the only non-shooter, not really a problem. If there are two out there, it can be manageable, but the offensive scheme needs to be on its game. We've seen way too many games with Russ or other players, and, and it's he's not Russell Westbrook. He's not some of these other guys. But I think that the principles stay the same. If you have non-shooters out there, like let's say you have two of them, and you want to have like a... LeBron James D'Lo pick and roll. That could be really neat. D'Lo inverted ball screen for LeBron or LeBron screening for, for Russell. That could be a lot of fun. But then if you also have AD in the dunker spot and Vanderbilt on the perimeter, 
the defense is going to be able to rotate over and defend the rim. And it's going to be hard to expose them for doing so. So if you have two of those guys, they need to be doing something to engage their defenders. One of them could be the roll man. And then, but that just, you know, that prevents you from having those Russell LeBron actions or LeBron Beasley actions or whatever it happens to be. The, the Reeves LeBron action. Like you can't have any of that unless you actively have the other two non-shooters setting like a staggered screen or something. If you can stick one of them in the dunker spot and the other one as a roller and it can work, but it's tricky. It's, it's tough. It makes it more difficult. It's much more difficult than if you had a guy spacing out in the corner that, that could draw the defensive defenses attention. And so what I'm thinking short term until the Lakers are really able to get things cooking from a scheme standpoint, it's they will take a step back. They have taken a step back integrating new pieces. So I don't expect them to suddenly click into place tonight or next game. Down the road, maybe. And that makes it easier to do this. But short term, as long as they're still not doing a good job with uh, like help beaters because they're bringing in new guys. Or the set play calling isn't as frequent potentially because they're bringing in new guys. That creates a worse environment for Jared and Jared Vanderbilt to be impactful. I want him to play 20 or more minutes a game. I, hell, I could see him playing 25 minutes a game. 30, I don't know. That's that's tough. But if he plays, we'll say he's going to play 20 minutes a game. You want those 20 minutes to be the 20 minutes where he's most optimized. And if we know late game is when the Lakers tend to run set plays the least of any time in the game, that portion of the game is going to be the period where he's going to be least impactful. And that is not really what you're looking for. So for that reason, I think short term, I wouldn't close with him as long as AD's healthy uh, because you've got those two guys out there together in an environment where the team's generally not calling plays and it's going to muck things up a bit. I think you're still going to find success. There's still going to be games where it's really successful, but then you're going to run into teams that really play the tactics game and, and leave Vanderbilt alone. And it really screws things up is what he brings defensively worth the offense. It could be, but you it, like, unless he's playing 35, 38 minutes a game, like just play him other minutes during the game and there'll be more impactful minutes, you know? Like, if he can be an A-plus, not an A-plus, if he can be a, oh, man, I don't know. <laughs> I haven't thought about putting a letter grade on this. If he could be a B-plus player for the first 40 minutes of the game, first 43 minutes of the game, and then the last five minutes of the game, he's a C-plus player instead of a B-plus player, why not just play him during the minutes he's, he's at his best? There, I think there still will be situations you want to play him. There still will be, I think there will be times where you want to play the offense-defense game, super late game where you're calling timeouts. And if you know the other team's going to have the ball and if you get a stop, you're calling calling a timeout or if they score, you're calling a timeout. Yeah, stick them in there for defense. But unless you are operating the offense in a way that we haven't seen the Lakers do this season with any consistency, he's not going to be as good of a player late game. So that, that, to me, has to be the concern. It can work. I'm not saying when he's out there, the offense will just break. But you're going to see him be a more impactful player when he's put in situations to succeed. And that has to do with lineups. That has to do with scheme. And that has to do with fit and his role. And a 
lot of those things make less sense when you are late game. And again, unless the Lakers change things around. So I see potential for it. I don't know that it's the best move immediately until the scheme kind of catches up. The, the new guys catch up with the scheme. But, I, you know, I think there's potential for that. I think it would be really fun defensively to have a Mo Bamba, Anthony Davis, Jared Vanderbilt front, front court. You've got rim protection all over. You've got guys that can rotate really well. If you stick like Bamba in like a hedge and you have to rotate behind it, <laughs> that's like, you know, AD tagging a roll man, he's gone. He's not doing anything. And then Vanderbilt on the weak side looking to pick off a skip pass, cover the 2v1. Like, man, I, I love I love the idea of that trio. Because you can put AD in his best defensive position for him, which is being a helper. For this team this season, having little size other than him, it's made sense for him to be an anchor big. But if you've got other rim protectors out there, and you can allow him to be that hunter on the prowl off ball, I love that idea. And I think with Vanderbilt, you can you could be going about it the same way. Or if there's a scoring wing, you know, Vanderbilt's the wing stopper, and then you've got Bamba and AD ready to, you know, wait in the lurch, ready to rotate and, and take away plays. So I, I want to see that group play a bit. Uh, I understand you have two poor or non-shooters out there. I understand Jared Vanderbilt on his career has like, I think he shot like 20% on threes everywhere, but his, like the right corner, he shot like 40% the past two years on tiny volume. I That's a, to me as a numbers guy, that's, we see this, this, this happens. This isn't unique to him. It's a, it's a statistical, like small sample size thing. As he gets more volume, it's going to even out a bit. So I'm still very excited for Vanderbilt. He needs to be used well defensively, which so far so good. Offensively, he's vulnerable to being kind of schemed and it just puts the onus on the Lakers offense to be doing the right things and playing him smartly. And if during certain portions of the game, we know the Lakers aren't going to be, you know, willing to play chess in that way. It's better off for him to not play him in those minutes, potentially. So that that's my perspective. It's nuanced. I'm sure this will be misconstrued. I'm sure I'm going to tweet something with, you know, 200, how many characters? 70 characters, whatever, 280. And it's not going to have the full nuance. But this, these are my thoughts here. And I would love the Lakers offense to get to a point where it's a no-brainer. Stick this guy in there. All right, next player, Devon Reed. Solid season last year. This year, he's not played all that well. He's only played like 300 minutes. This is worth a dart throw because last year he had some solid scoring data offensively, was an efficient off-ball player, and was, I think, B or B-plus defensive impact in a wing-stopper role. That's someone you want to throw a dart at. So not he isn't currently in the rotation. Not sure he will break into the rotation, but is definitely someone I like to have in the building and is worth a deep bench spot to potentially develop and get something out of. So that's a look at what the Lakers have had so far. Rotationally, I, I really want to see how it looks when with Bamba and LeBron back. But in that first game, we saw the Lakers stagger Vanderbilt and Anthony Davis a bit, which I think makes sense. Stagger the non-shooters. They're going to have overlap, but there's you know you'd rather have one of them on court at all times than the duo together a bunch and then minutes with neither of them. So I like that idea stagger than on shooters. Uh, we saw the Lakers start Schroeder and D'Lo together. Not a huge fan of that. I like the idea of staggering Schroeder and Reeves as point of attack defenders. 
And, I, you know, then playing Reeves with D'Lo, Schroeder with Beasley, spread the playmaking out a bit. I believe in Point Reeves. I'm just surprised that the team's willing to throw him out there in those situations when they've shown that they trust Schroeder to do that a bit more. Uh, the minutes worked out pretty well last night in the game, but uh, or two nights ago in the game, but I wouldn't be surprised to see them, you know, switch up how they how they do those pairings. So I'm excited. This is a good good group. The Lakers brought in four guys. I think will immediately contribute contribute well. They're not minimum contract players. They will outproduce what the Lakers were getting from like Russell Westbrook and Thomas Bryant, which is and I guess Pat Beverly. So it is. Uh, it's a good step forward, and a lot of these guys are younger and can stick around for a bit long term. And I'm excited about that. This this Lakers team with these trades, they were smart because I mean they, they basically got their buddy Heald and Miles Turner light versions with Beasley and Bamba. You bring in a defensive like Swiss Army knife with Jared Vanderbilt that has some offensive like short roll passing game. And then you bring in a D'Angelo Russell who has the like pull up three point shooting ability that you have not had since D'Angelo Russell was on the team. Uh, so I'm a big fan of the skill sets brought in. They aren't just improvements. They're not just better than the guys that they're replacing, but they are better in specific ways that enable the offense to do things it hasn't been able to do. Same thing with the defense with Bamba and Vanderbilt. You now have a, a guy you can stick as a wing stop or a point of attack defender. It's just like, you know, what does the team have? Okay, that's how we're going to figure out our rotations for tonight. Um, that's how we're going to figure out our matchups and our defensive roles. Because Vanderbilt, one day he could be a helper, one day he could be a wing stopper, one day he can be a point of attack defender, and he'll be great in all of them. And that's really helpful. We're going to see AD optimize better. We're going to see AD conserved better defensively so he can be more unleashed offensively. And with the Bomba AD pairing, we are now back to similar to the Gasol AD pairing where, oh, wow, AD's at his best self offensively when he's able to have a spacing five out there with him. And that's what we've got with this duo. And then defensively, it when they play together, AD can be in that helper role, which is how he's been best optimized throughout his career. So there's, there's nuance to this. It's not just center all the time, power forward all the time. It's offensively. The five, defensively the four, is how you make the most of Anthony Davis' skill sets. And I'm excited to see this team roll these guys out together. LeBron, hopefully he's able to, to stay healthy. I know he's, his foot's been bothering him, but this team healthy, can they can absolutely make a run. I have 10 times more confidence in this group's ability to make a run than had they not made any trades, I was getting close to just not tracking games anymore as granularly as I was because it, it wasn't going to matter. Um, but I'm so I'm re-energized. These are good fits. It's a good step forward. We're already seeing the impact. We will see them be even better when they learn chemistry, when they get into their, you know, executing sets a bit better, when the coaching staff is able to figure things out. I think that win over Golden State gives me more confidence in the coaching staff's ability to scheme defensively. And they've now brought in players that make it much easier for them to scheme defensively. And offensively, the scheme has been pretty solid, really. Recently, they've been running a bunch of stuff, and it's been good stuff. Taking a small step back, bringing in new players, but I think they're going to get right back to that. And if they can, 
watch out. This this team is dangerous. This team is way more dangerous than it was going to be otherwise. And I think the ceiling for this team has shifted quite a bit with these moves. There's short-term, long, long-term appeal. This team didn't spend both of their first-round picks. Just absolutely great moves. I'm very, very into this basketball team. They're fun again. The scheme's good on both ends. The rotations continue to be the one thing that I think we can be frustrated about. But again, more in inaccuracy ways rather than blunder kinds of ways. So hopefully they're able to sort out what works best. But two thumbs up to the front office. I don't know if this was Rob. I don't know if Joey and Jesse stepped in. I don't know if Kurt Rambis stepped in. I, I don't know. Whatever the collection was, however they ended up at these these eventual trades, I know they were considering multiple options. I heard some trades that were on the table that didn't happen. They They ended up with the right ones, I think. And I'm excited to see this team together. I really want to see LeBron and Bamba back soon so we can see the, the full, you know, fully operational Death Star. And they're not quite there yet, but uh, it's such a more dynamic group. And as an X's and O's guy, the I, I'd be like a kid in a candy store, candy store trying to scheme things up for a team that has these kinds of players on it, on both ends of the court. Because you can be so much more creative now. You have so many more answers to how the other team can play things. Uh, I'll make another chess analogy, like... There are certain chess openings that are easier to learn than others because, you know, maybe they're not, the ceiling's not as high. They're not necessarily better, but you only need to be able to like memorize, you know, the best move sequences against a a couple types of defense, unless the, the other team does something really dumb. The other player does something really dumb. Then there are openings that they're not good for beginners. They're not all that great for intermediate players. But if you are really going to put the time in and learn all of the intricacies, the ceiling is so much higher. And this is a group now where I think you, if the coaching's there, you move to that good stuff. You move, you move, you know, you dive into the deep end schematically with this group. And it's not, you know, it's not super complicated. Like it, none of this is stuff that the players wouldn't be able to understand. But you can, you just have answers. Oh, if they do this, okay, we could do that. If they counter us this way, we can counter their counter that way. You can play chess now with the pieces that are on this team. Lineup-wise, you can do a ton of different things. Role-wise, you can do a lot of different things. Tactically, you're ready to counter whatever you need to counter. The Lakers team, with no trades, with Russell Westbrook in the playoffs, forget the off-court stuff. Forget he's fighting with coaches and all that. If teams are sagging off of him and you don't have off-screen shooters or guys that can really shoot off movement, you're in a really crappy spot. Your your hands are kind of tied. All of the most of just about every counter I have been able to think of, and I've been thinking about this for years. Uh, and not just for Russ. This isn't a new problem. This isn't just a Russ problem. They don't work well. Almost none of them work well with the personnel the Lakers had before these trades. So they don't have to worry about that issue anymore. But they also added those guys, so they're they just have so many better so many better options. So I'm thrilled. Thank you for joining me. Uh, watch us on playback.tv/slash Lakers Watch Party. We're breaking down the games. The the audience is growing and growing. The enthusiasm's there. The team's better, and it's more fun to break this team down. Join us on Discord where we're talking about this stuff nonstop. And I want to shout out the friends of the podcast, TJ Timotaji, 
Zach Harris, Daddy O, iPod Shuffle, Romario, Chamber, Miguel, T. Shuttleworth, Omar, Roy, Abdulrahman, Keneal Mason, Eric, and Doppel, all for living the high life with us in the owner's box, as well as to the courtside and lower bowl crews who support what we're doing. Expect some fun X's and O's sessions coming up that are about this team and not just like best practices because they've got a lot of good stuff that's going on. And I expect to see even more with how the, the roster now looks. Um, we've got a bonus pod coming up. I already looked at the questions. I'm going to record that, I think, Wednesday. Um, so if you're a subscriber to the Lower Bowl crew, which, which is just five bucks a month or more, you get access to bonus pods. And you also get access to the spreadsheet I have tracking every play the Lakers are running. I've added like two or three more tabs in the past couple days. And you can really, really deep dive and see what's working, what's not working, and with who which is going to be a fun way to look into this team because the lineup data is going to be trash. We won't, given when these trades are made, the lineup data is not going to mean anything this whole season. It's not going to be big enough. The samples won't be big enough. So, and that's because of the, there's so much extra noise in the numbers with lineup data. When you're able to account for these things like the X's and O's, then it becomes easier to see through what's working and what's not working and with what groups. So you can do that. They're interactive tools, all that for five bucks a month. If you go up to the next level, the courtside level, you are able to get all of that. And this is, I think, 10 bucks a month. And then you also get the X's and O sessions. And it's not just me doing one every other week or once every three weeks, um, but you also get access to the full library of ones I've done in the past. So if you want to learn X's and O's a bit more, you want, you're a coach or you want a coach or you just want to understand the game better, we have hours and hours and hours of good stuff recorded of me breaking down all of these great concepts, ball screens, off-screen off actions, defense, um, all of the tactics, helping and exploiting help and everything you can think of. That's all in there and you, you would have access to all of that. So check that out and Tom and I will be back with you soon. We'll see you in playback. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.